I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. It is Thursday, January 26th. We are still taping from the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah. When the Oscar nominations were announced on Tuesday, there was something very familiar to me. Living, a reimagining of the classic Kurosawa story, had scored two nominations, Bill Nighy for lead actor and the writer Kazuo Ishiguro for adapted screenplay. Living's a small art house movie. It's rolling out in theaters now, and it was a pickup at last year's Sundance by Sony Pictures Classics, the specialty division of the Sony Studio. Sony Classics has done this over and over, identify Oscar-caliber movies at film festivals like Sundance, Venice, Toronto, Cannes, and ride that pickup to Oscar nominations and box office or streaming success. Career-making films like Whiplash from Damien Chazelle or Incendies from Denis Villeneuve, Still Alice with Julianne Moore, Call Me By Your Name from Luca Guadagnino. Two years ago, they pulled off that Oscar shocker when Anthony Hopkins beat the late Chadwick Boseman with his performance in The Father. This is a real business, and for 30 years, Michael Barker has been running Sony Classics with his partner, Tom Bernard. They're kind of the twin elders of the indie film scene and a fixture at Sundance and the other fests. They just bought a Sundance movie called A Little Prayer, a small-town drama from the writer of Junebug, which Sony Classics released back in 2005 and launched the career of Amy Adams with her Oscar nomination. But obviously, the business model for the kinds of films that Sony Classics likes and champions has significantly changed in recent years. We talked about that yesterday on the show with John Sloss. To some, it might seem like Sony Classics is a dinosaur, doomed to extinction from the streaming asteroid that hit the movie business. And indeed, Barker's frustration is often that his little division can't afford to compete with the streamers or the big spending outlets. It's tougher and tougher to get audiences to show up in theaters for movies like this, even the Oscar-nominated ones like Living. But it's not impossible, and there are actually a bunch of other ways to make money on small movies these days. That's what we're talking about today. We've got Michael Barker here to explain how Sony Classics has pivoted to survive, what his pitch is to filmmakers these days, and what he looks for to take a Sundance movie all the way to the Oscars. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Michael Barker, co-president of Sony Pictures Classics. Hello, Michael. Hello, Matt. Thanks for coming at us here at the uh, glamorous hotel or Sundance Marriott. Is it a Marriott or a Sheridan now? Sheridan. It's a Sheridan now. 
Used getting, to be a Marriott. Getting a parking space was tough. Uh, well, I'm glad. I'm happy you parked for us. Uh, all right, I want to talk to you about Sundance. Then, now, in the future, you've been coming here. When was your first Sundance? It's in the mid '80s. Basically, the beginning. Not quite. A few years into right. it. Um, so you've seen a lot. You've seen a lot change. And how do the Sundance movies of today compare with the movies in those early years? Well, I think what's been amazing about Sundance, and to a certain extent, a lot of the other festivals are like this, Cannes and uh, Toronto, is when you come here, it's like a cauldron of all of these filmmakers. Now it's from all over the world. In those years ago, it used to be just American filmmakers. Now it's filmmakers all over the world. You get a sense of of what these filmmakers want to say and what kind of subjects they want to take on. And you get a sense of, of them as well as the moment with the public. And you get a sense of trends and, and what's happening, you know. In the culture in the, at large. In the culture at large, in the world, and, and, and what is going on in, in these stories, in these movies that, that the public they want the public to see and what are on the minds of these filmmakers of what are urgent issues at the time. And Sundance has really reflected that. And this year is a really strong year on, on turning tables on certain genres and certain uh, ways uh, movies were uh, told um, for this moment. You know, there was the, there was this movie Fair Play, which is like Fatal Attraction, but it's different from the Fatal Attraction we saw in the late '80s. Right, the perspective it's, is different. It's more complicated. It's, to me, it's like the Macbeth of, uh, you know, yeah. 2023. It's more about ambition than anything else, and that seems to be on people's minds: ambition, income inequality. Um, and now it's we in saw these that movies. that movie sold to Netflix for you know, depending on what you believe. 50 15 or $20 million. Right. Um, you, you guys typically are not playing in those ballparks. No, Sometimes I, you do, but typically not. What do you look for in a movie that is right for you? Well, I look for something like that. The thing is that um, that movie, before the streamers, I believe that movie would have been bought by a major studio mm -hmm. because it is it is like a major studio film commercial. that they used to make more of in the 80s and the 90s and the, the beginning of the aughts. And so that's kind of a new trend. Um, the, what we look for, first of all, we've always been auteur-driven. And so we adore movies from the masters as they continue their work. And we've stuck with some of them. We've, we've gone in and out with them over the years and the careers, but also we, we pursue the new filmmakers, um, the first timers and, um, the movie business has evolved so much over the years. It's always been difficult for the independent filmmaker I don't care what anyone says. It's always been tough. And so when they say it's tougher now, it's tough, but I don't know if it's tougher. It's always been tough. And I think the new world, it's like it used to be the three C's. You had the content and you had the context. Those were the two C's. But now you have curation. And I think we look at movies that Tom and I and our company feel can work in the marketplace theatrically. We still believe theatrical is well, the Well, let's get prime. into that. Yeah. So, so obviously the theatrical market is challenged. 
the market for the kinds of movies you guys like and the ones that you buy is particularly challenged. Uh, I I wonder if that has changed your approach to the kinds of movies you're looking for. Whereas five, 10 years ago, you would have looked at a movie at Sundance and said, okay, there's a star in this. We can get an audience to show up in theaters for this. Is that a much more difficult calculus now? Well, it's it's the chemistry with the way the money flows it change has changed. How so? And you have to look at the calculus of if you can make an impression theatrically, you you study all the diff the whole marketplace, the different platforms, the television opportunities, the still the DVD opportunities, the the there there are so many opportunities. Uh, airline, international, so there's multiple there, buckets of money yes, to but justify. But it used to us. not be that way. Years and years ago, when we started, we we thought about theatrical as the box office being the driving force. The theatrical is still primary. It's important to make that distinctive, that title distinctive in the marketplace for the public to remember because there's such an onslaught of noise and content that the theatrical still is important for that. And even if the box office is less than what it was, if you can make that impression, then the other platforms and the other media fall into line for that film to have a long tail, to have a long life. And so I think theatrical will always be primary if for that reason alone, it will always be primary. I think people know the primary best way to see a film is in a movie theater. But well, even if Some they, do, some don't. But, but yes. even if they don't, let's say they, they know it, even if they don't go, they know it. And the fact of the matter is, as time progresses, and I think there are good signs for the public to be coming back in larger numbers, it's, it's, there's still a way to, to survive with the other media opportunities with a title that you can make a strong impression theatrically. Something like the Bill Nye movie. Living, Living. yes. You know, that has not been a theatrical-oriented movie it did did okay what was the well, box office no it's still it's no still we're theaters. very early no no it is very early we're okay. only in a few cities right now okay that is going to have a slow burn all right and the fact of the matter is we're waiting hopeful for us yeah we're taping this before the noms but so we will see what expect happens him to get a nom. and and the word of mouth is so strong on that movie that the theatrical is going to grow over the next two months okay but best case scenario for that movie in theaters is what five ten million yeah. Okay. So how does that impact the long tail? Do you, so Sony Classics is one of the studio owned independent divisions that doesn't have a streaming service attached to it. Sony does not have a streaming service. Which is attached, important. Which is a very important factor. And explain why. Because there's a first pay window with Netflix. Right. There's a second pay window with Disney Plus. There's the opportunity. There is no one better in this business than Sony Home Entertainment and Sony Television at exploiting the rights for these titles everywhere. Yeah. And that is where the long tail comes in. We have a library of almost 500 titles. Those titles are being exploited by home entertainment and television with all these new media opportunities from the Criterion Channel to Disney+. Plus. And, and that is a, that is a, a, a lifeline, a, a part of the lifeline of a company like ours because the, the films and the library have such value that they continue. So that's, that's 
And the way you create that value is not just box office, but also through the awards stuff. And yeah, people, well, the awards help. The awards help a lot. I mean, yeah. if you have if you have a movie like let's say you know Rachel getting married, who got a nomination yes, for right. Anne Hathaway, the father. Or the father is a good one. People wonder. They see all these headlines. Oh, the audience is not showing up in theaters for the awards movies. There's other value that the awards bring to these titles beyond just whether people show up in theaters. That. Oscar win or nomination even will follow that movie forever. But that that has happened since we since the Oscars began. True, but is, it used to be that the theatrical longevity. Oscars always give longevity to the films. You know, it used to be the films might do better at the box office at first blush and the first run and so forth. But you have longevity added if if you have an Oscar nomination, especially for categories like foreign language film, right. documentaries, Doc, documentaries and so forth. You guys released Searching for Sugar Man and I did not even know about that movie until I saw that it won the best documentary Oscar and then of course I watched it. That's where you have to trust in the long tail and that's where we trust in the long tail with many of our titles like yep. we have Return to Soul, we have Hallelujah, we have The Sun. These are movies that have long tails. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. You guys are also known as being whisperers, you and Tom. You know what the Academy likes. Or you know how, you know the kinds of movies that will get nominations. So when you're looking at movies here at Sundance or another festival, what jumps out? Is it a performance? Is it, you know, I see that in Anne Hathaway. She could get nominated for that. Let's look at that. No, a lot of times it does jump out. I remember when we saw Junebug here for the first time, uh, we thought, okay, and no one's mentioned this, but Amy Adams will get nominated. Who was unknown at the time. Unknown, yeah, yeah. And so you do, we do have a feel for it, but I have to tell you, I appreciate what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I think the Academy is so unpredictable that um, uh, we pride ourselves in second guessing it and in working it in and hoping that these films rise to the top. We, we pride ourselves in having quality films, quality films that have a long tail. And the fact of the matter is quality films that have a long tail are the kind of films that the Academy likes. So I, I, I certain types though do better. Like you were, you, what you did with the father was pretty amazing. Most people thought Chadwick Boseman was going to win especially since he had passed away, you, I don't want to say you knew without a doubt, you were pretty confident that Anthony Hopkins was going to get it. Well, you know, that film was like the little engine that could. 
we actually world it was world premiered here at Sundance. And then the pandemic started two months later. And there were many pundits and journalists who said, these guys should really sell this movie to a streamer. And we said, no, we want to wait because the theatrical impression can be very strong. And, and we did. And that's another example of the, the fact that the pandemic caused the movie to be pushed back so much. It caused more people to see it for the word of mouth. And I don't think it's very difficult for anyone to know that Anthony Hopkins would have a hell of a shot at, at getting uh, that nomination for sure. The key was to persevere and to, you know, put it in front of the Academy members. The key to all these Oscars is for the Academy members to actually see the films. Right. Because there are many films that get short shrifted because not enough of the Academy members have actually seen the film. Yeah. How I do mean, you do that? You guys don't advertise much. You don't. Oh, yeah. Do, you know, you, how do you get. We have screenings. We mm -hmm. have, we, we, um, we do a lot of social media. Yeah. Um, you make calls personally? No, I don't. We don't make call to Academy members. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Really. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Sundance. What have you noticed about the festival this year coming out of the pandemic, first festival in three years? How have things changed? Or have they? Well, I don't know if they've changed that drastically. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, again, the films are very strong and you look at them in a different way than you did before. Yeah. Like you would look at Fair Play, and I remember Tom telling me that is a movie a streamer is going to pay a fortune for. Yeah, doesn't it bug yeah. you? Doesn't it annoy you that you that you're getting outbid? No. Because let's I, say we, let's go back 15 years. 15 you would not have gotten ago, Whiplash. Whiplash would have gone to Netflix. You don't know that. I. You really don't. know That, that. was. A, I saw that here. No, at you the don't festival. know that. It was a commercial movie that had music, had a star-making Oscar you don't performance. J.K. Simmons. Can I tell you? You don't know that because the fact of the matter is. One of the reasons we get the films we do is the talent, the director, the actors, and so forth want to be with a company like ours where the movie is promoted in a proper theatrical way and has all of that. So that's that your pitch. Life. So you don't know that. Right, now, I don't and know also that. I right. want to say something else. There were pictures in the past, the way past, that we lost because of being bid outrageous numbers, the years of Harvey Weinstein, you know that. Mm -hmm. And and where we were outbid by five times what you could pay for. Uh, we would have loved to have had the um, Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. We would love to have had that movie, yeah. but with Sony Classics doesn't compete at that level of price. It's not really that different. It's just now it's the streamers, you right. know? So, yeah. you you. you uh, what I think about a movie like Fair mm -hmm. Play is that Maybe Sony Classics wouldn't have the movie, even though we would love to have had it because we can't reach that financial level at buying it. I would have, in the older in the days before, it would have been a major studio that would have bought right. it. Right. Well, you can make yeah. a call to your friend, Tom Rothman, <laughs> tell him that he should check out this movie. He runs the big Sony studio. He runs it very well. But, that, you know, <laughs> that's the kind of movie maybe he might be interested in, but he's probably not going to want to get in a bidding war with Netflix either. 
Well, he's very, they're very savvy. He's very savvy. You can say cheap. Look at, no, it's not cheap at all. I think it's very perceptive. Okay. I mean, look at how well this auto movie sure. is doing with Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. That is our audience. Mm-hmm. And the way that movie is performing. It's a little more middle America than your audience. Well, but, yeah. I don't know. It's, 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 it's performing everywhere. And our audience is coming back to that movie. And we we're grateful I hope you had that. a trailer in front of that movie. That I'm sure we did. <laughs> Um, so are you confident about the future of festivals like Sundance? Do you think that this is that road through the pandemic as relevant as ever? You were excited by the films you're seeing. You'll be back next year and for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. And the market, do you think the market is going to be as robust? Absolutely. I think uh, Tom and I feel very strongly where the changes are taking place and have to take place in the theatrical world is 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 more activity on behalf of the exhibitor you know to the theaters the theaters to get involved with these campaigns locally they have the data with the their viewers they know how to do this and when you look at the theaters that are working with the independent films right now these are the theaters that are doing that kind of outreach in coordination with distributors like ourselves that like the angelica mm-hmm. like the you know, but some of these theaters are closing. Some I mean, of them have seeing... closed, but some of them are, are reopening. Yeah. And the big, big circuits are starting to pay attention to independent film. And actually, I, I think AMC is very promising in how they uh, uh, may reach out in their marketing push with ex- distributors like us on that local level. It's important on that local level that these exhibitors are proactive because that is where there's a big difference now as far as the success theatrically of these pictures. And uh, all over the country, there are exhibitors like this, the Lemley Theaters in Los Angeles. Um, in New York, there are, there are these small independent exhibitors. There's this theater called the New Plaza that's new and and is doing that kind of outreach in the community. That community outreach locally in these different cities is really going to help and is helping um, the bring back after the and pandemic. And you're not going to start selling off your movies to streamers right away. No. You're just keep those windows. Not at all. And, and you know, uh, the Netflix uh, window allows us to have the theatrical um, window. Right. The pay window. And it goes there. I just watched Bullet Train the other night from Sony. Yeah. yeah. Um, when all is said and done at this festival, how many movies are you guys going to walk away with? Don't have to tell me Who which ones. Knows? Don't have to tell me which ones. You Three, know, five, none? We've walked away from here in the past with anywhere from one to four. So we'll see. All right. We'll and see. I'm sure one of them and will get I'll an Oscar you, nomination next year. The thing is, it's slow. the sales are slower yeah. now than they used to be. Uh, in the previous years. So I think a lot of films will be bought after the yeah. festival or at the end of the festival. And the cauldron of having them all sold within two days in the middle of the festival, those days seem to be you gone. You don't have to stay up all night, which is probably nice. I think people still do. <laughs> I haven't yet. <laughs> all right. Michael Barker, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Matthew. All right. We are back with the call sheet. Craig. With the nominations this week, are you starting to get excited about the Oscars? Yeah, I am. I, I think it's a good crop of movies this year. I, I don't know if that's a hot take in itself, but I, I I don't mind what's out there. That is the hottest take. Good crop of movies. 
the the academy got a gift here because the biggest problem they've had is nobody cares about the show but this year they've got among the nominees they've got avatar they've got top gun they've got elvis they've got you know a number of hooks it feels like they they had their fan service nominations and then they had their real nominations Right, exactly. And we'll see what ends up winning. But at least there's stuff there for people to get excited about. Like Rihanna will be there. Uh, Lady Gaga will be there. They both got nominated songs. Uh, you know, Angela Bassett could be the first Marvel actress to win for Best Supporting Actress. Um, that's a big thing that people will show up for. Uh, but the big wild card is will Tom Cruise show up to the Oscars? And that's my prediction today. My prediction is he will show up because he is nominated as a producer of Top Gun. He was not nominated as an actor. So there's a question about whether he will be there. He's been shooting the Mission Impossible movie in South America or no. Yeah. South America or South Africa. One of those. And some are like, oh, will he be there? I think he will. I don't think he's going to be there. You don't think he's going to show up? No. I think he's too spooked by, by making public appearances these days. The Gerard Carmichael, Shelley Miskovich joke. I think spooked him. I don't think he likes to to show face anymore because of just everything that's going on. Well, he didn't go to the Globes because he hates them. He gave his awards back right, right. after the whole scandal. And, you know, the Globes are the Globes. They're not the Oscars. The Oscars are his industry. He's been nominated as a producer. He's really leaning into the producer thing. He's getting a big prestigious Selznick Award from the Producers Guild on February 25th. And that's a few weeks before the Oscars. So he will be in LA a couple weeks before. He could just stay and go to the show. And you know that the Oscar producers are going to lean heavily into him saying, listen, man, if you believe in this industry and you believe in promoting movies, show Go up to the freaking award show that honors your movie. Well, I don't. Th I think he knows Top Gun's not going to win Best Picture. Well, we don't know that. We don't know that. It could. Okay, sure. I guess we don't know that. I just, I don't know. My my gut tells me he's not going to want to sit there for three hours and, and be on camera and just kind of uh, put himself out there and be vulnerable to whatever could happen. That's true. He has gone in the past um, and he has presented. So, but presenting is a little different. You can kind of come up, you know, they have that basement entrance at the Dolby Theater where you don't have to actually go in the front door. You, they have a secret entrance where you can go and come up the elevator like a and get backstage. <laughs> I mean, th this theater was literally built for the Oscars. So you can come up and get in there and then do your job and then get out without having to do any press. It's the problem. It, the problem is if he's sitting there for three hours, Kimmel will make a joke. Yes. Someone will do a Scientology joke and they will cut to him for the awkward reaction shot. I don't see him doing the Brad Pitt Globes thing, sitting there smiling <laughs> at every nominee and winner. I just don't see it. Yeah, nobody made any reference to the Brad Pitt scandal recently, his, the whole Angelina, you know, airplane alleged abuse thing. And maybe people wouldn't, you know, maybe they'll be a little afraid of Tom Cruise, or maybe he will at least pretend to have a sense of humor about that. He can tolerate a Xenu joke or something. Yeah, well, we'll see. We have dueling predictions here. We'll see who wins. Oh, so yeah, and one of us will be proven wrong. Uh, do we bet? Are we betting on this? I'm betting on the Oscars, so why not add one more? All right, we'll, we'll come up with something. We'll come up with lunch or a drink or something like that to bet on. Okay, M maybe your HBO beanie. That's what's on the line. My HBO, my orange HBO documentaries beanie that I cherish. Yeah. That's it for the show today. I want to thank Michael Barker for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck, and I want to thank you. We will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.